Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46, and we will finish this chapter. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You may be seated. Thank you, Pam, and thank you, Seth, very much. Mark 10, 46 through 52 is where we'll be this morning, and I've titled the message this morning, Blind Faith. Will you pray with me? Father, I need and I want your help to preach this truth as I ought, to preach it rightly. Lord, to focus on the fact that your word is powerful. Focus on the fact that we can trust your word. It's the word that we need. It's the word that you have for the ones who've come this morning, the words that everyone hearing my voice right now need to hear. Lord, and I pray that you would please give us grace to receive these words as we all, to walk in obedience to them, to hear your voice clearly this morning as you're speaking to our hearts. I believe that you have a a word for everyone who will hear this sermon. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Blind faith. When we use the term blind faith, when it's usually used, I should say, it refers to the act of believing something without having a true understanding or without having a right perception of what it actually is. It's the idea of trusting in something without any evidence that it's actually trustworthy. That's usually how the phrase is used. And as you know, and as many of you have even probably experienced in your life at some point, the faith of the Christian himself gets called blind faith sometimes by those in the world who doubt the authenticity and doubt the authority of the Word of God. They can't see God, and therefore they think that placing faith in someone who you cannot see is foolish. And so they refer to our faith as blind faith. We're believing in something, they say, without any evidence that it's actually trustworthy. And even though 
this man, Bartimaeus, had never seen Jesus, he placed faith in him. You probably have picked up on the plain words that I'm using here for calling this sermon blind faith. In our text, Jesus had just spoken the words that make up the central verse for the entire gospel of Mark. You might recall from last week that he had just said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus now, after saying that, continues on his journey to where? Jerusalem. And his journey there takes him through Jericho. Look at verse 46. It says, And they came to Jericho. Now the Gospel of Luke tells us that when Jesus entered Jericho, that was when he had the encounter with the man that you all remember, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Another man in society who was deemed as less than. Though very different from Bartimaeus. Both men were looked down upon for different reasons in society. One man was looked down upon for his dishonesty and for his treacherous, his, no, treasonous occupation, Zacchaeus. The other was looked down upon for his handicap and his lack of contribution to society. The truth is most people preferred to ignore both Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus. But Jesus ended up giving both men his special attention. And each time, the crowds were shocked that Jesus would give attention to both Zacchaeus and they're going to be shocked that he would give attention to Bartimaeus as well. Let's also, you and I, shock the crowds by who we give attention to in this world. Let's also shock the crowds by who we pay attention to and help in Jesus' name. Who do you end up inviting to church? Who do you attempt to share the gospel with? Who do you attempt to minister to? Focus on the ones who are usually ignored. Place your focus on the ones who society deems as less than just like Jesus did. So he goes to Jericho, and then we don't, Mark doesn't focus on the action there in Jericho like some of the other gospels do. We now see him leaving Jericho. Look at the rest of verse 46. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, because the crowds are forced through gates, there's a, there's a bottlenecking of people at the entrance of a city and also at the exit of a city. They're, they're forced through gates. Usually these cities, not always towns, but usually cities are walled and there's entrances. They close the entrances at night even sometimes. So there's this traffic that's forced into a small place and then out of a small place as well. And Jesus' path took him by this man just through the natural flow of traffic leaving the city. But it was also by divine intervention on God's part that Jesus took him by this man 
this day. Jesus' path took him by this man on purpose. This was the will of God. This was the day for the man to exercise his faith in the Messiah. The man didn't know that. He didn't know that this would be that day that he would have the Messiah walk by him. He didn't know it would be this very day. But God knew, and God knew before this man was even born, not only that this man would eventually go blind, but that on this day, at this moment, Bartimaeus would have an encounter with his son. What I mean is the son of God. And no one who has an encounter with Jesus goes away unchanged. No one who has an encounter with Jesus goes away unchanged. But listen, the person who has an encounter with Jesus will either draw closer to Jesus through genuine faith, or the person will be further hardened through disbelief. But no one who has an encounter with Jesus goes away unchanged. Look at verse 47 now. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Since the blind need their surroundings to stay similar, to stay familiar so that they can function in life, always bumping, I mean, never bumping into things if they, if they know the path that they're supposed to go and things don't change, then they can rightly function. That's why if you ever go into a blind person's home, they don't like you moving things around because they've got it mapped out in their head. So this man knew what was normal for this place. He knew what was normal for the amount of traffic. He knew how to get to his spot. The spot, you could call it maybe his, his, his fishing hole. This was, this was his spot. He knew it. So he could tell when things were abnormal also. He could tell there was an abnormal amount of traffic going by him that day. The curiosity got the best of him. He must have asked someone, what's, what's happening? Why this great crowd? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, would have likely been the reply to him. Well, at that point, understanding, possibly better than most, what an opportunity like this meant, what a grand opportunity this was, not just for his own healing, but because who would be doing the healing? The promised son of David. He'd been hearing about this was his chance. He was limited. He was blind. He would not have an opportunity like this afforded to him again, more than likely, because of his great limitations. Now, we'll talk about in just a second what the phrase, what the title, Son of David, means, but I want to point this out. Obviously, this man had heard enough about what Jesus had said and heard enough about what Jesus had done in his miracles that he believed this is the promised one. This is the one who's to come. 
and he had not even seen any of it. This was only just what he had heard. His only thought at that moment was to cry out, to be very loud. His only option was to cry out to him, just like our only option really is to cry out to the Lord in faith as well. That's, that's our only option too, because guess what? You and I are also extremely limited. And the Lord doesn't come to us. We don't have an opportunity afforded to us to go to God. God has to come to us. This man knew, because he, would, he was blind, that he would not find Jesus on his own, just like you and I. Because of our spiritual blindness, we all come into this world with, we will not find Jesus on our own. Romans says that there are none who seek for God, even. Now you might say, wait, wait a second, there's people all over the earth seeking for God, seeking for a God of man's making, yes, seeking for a God to do for them what they want, seeking for a God in the, with the wrong motives, yes, but seeking for the one true God, for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, the, that God, no one seeks for the one true God without having first heard about the one true God because we will all invent a God in our own minds according to our own liking instead the one true God cannot be known unless he reveals himself to us. And he reveals himself to us in Scripture. And it's not of man's creation. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Holy men were moved by the Spirit to write what they wrote, is what we find said to us. We are dependent on a sovereign act of God by which God comes to us in our helpless, blind, sinful state. So why did the man choose to use the title Son of David? Let me tell you why. 2 Samuel, I've got a slide for this. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. The prophet Nathan was told once by the Lord, say these words to King David. Say these words to David. So Nathan goes to David and starts speaking to him. He has a lot to say, but especially right here in verses 12 and 13. Listen to what the Lord, through Nathan, says to David. This is a promise. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, by the way, that's an Old Testament way of saying when you die. They refer to death as lying down with your fathers. All your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather who died before you, lying down on the ground. That's a way of saying when you die. When you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The partial and more immediate fulfillment of that promise was, of course, Solomon, David's literal, physical son from his body. He became king, and he built the temple, God's house, as it's referred to here in this text. But the final and complete fulfillment came in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the descendant of David, who is king of kings, and who built the spiritual temple, the church. 
He is the foundation for the church. He's the head of the church. He's the one who calls us out of darkness into the light. And that same Jesus does indeed sit on the heavenly throne forever. His kingdom is forever. Just like Martin Luther's hymn says, his kingdom is forever. Bartimaeus believed, and rightly so, that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. Bartimaeus, more than likely a Jew, had heard that promise, and he believed this is the son of David. This is the one who fulfills this promise. But Bartimaeus also knew that he did not deserve anything from such a one as Jesus Christ. He felt he was undeserving. That's why he asked Jesus to what? Have mercy on me, he says. Have mercy on me. Do you see Do you see your need for mercy from a holy God? Do you believe that Jesus is the promised one of God, the Son of God, and therefore equal with God? Do you believe that through repentance of your sins and faith in what he did for us on the cross and absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf and shedding his blood and dying, being buried, rising from the dead, do you believe that that's, the way that you can obtain mercy from God? Bartimaeus believed. He believed all the truth that he was exposed to at that time. And that was enough. He believed. And he was vocal about it. And, but not everyone was happy about that, were they? Not everyone was happy at how vocal he was. Look at verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. (laughs) So picture a middle-aged or older man, we don't know, sitting, more than likely in, in unkept clothing, with a cloak on as well to stay warm, probably reaching forward, reaching out in front of him, just hoping that he could grab onto something or someone to help him, reaching toward the throngs of people because he doesn't know where Jesus is in all this midst of all this crowd. But he heard Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth is passing by, groping for anyone who might be able to help him while constantly calling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. His arms likely bumping into people as they went by. Now, even though the crowd And as you know, you've been in large crowds. Even though a crowd of people makes enough chatter of its own, he was louder. He knew he had to be louder. You've got to outdo the crowd if you're going to have Jesus possibly hear you. He cried out all the more. The more they told him to be quiet, the more he cried out. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. Desperate people... Do not permit the crowd to keep them from Jesus. Desperate people do not permit the crowd to keep them from Jesus. Pray that God will make you more and more desperate for Jesus in your life. Even if you already know him, you know the, you understand rightly what I mean if I said, don't you want more Jesus? 
you have Jesus, you have his spirit, but I think we all understand and know what I mean when I say, you want more. I want more of him. I want more of his presence in my life. I want greater love for him. These people were trying to quiet him down. These people were trying to make him just go back to the way you were, Bartimaeus. Just sit there. Is there someone in your life trying to keep you from pursuing God? Maybe a friend, maybe a parent, maybe a relative, maybe a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe an employer. Is there someone in your life trying to keep you from pursuing the Lord? If so, know that this person is an enemy of the truth and needs to be ignored. There's pressure from someone that's keeping you from fully committing yourself to Jesus Christ. This person needs to be viewed as an enemy of the truth. Ignore their voice and go towards the voice of truth. When you get desperate enough for Jesus, no thing and no one will keep you from him, right? When you get desperate enough for anything, there's very little that will actually keep you from that. A friend of mine once kept, had a dog that kept getting out of the fence, and he asked me to come over for help to secure his fence. So we did what we could to get it as secure as we could. And he said, do you think that'll work? And I said, well, I hope so. But if he's desperate enough to get out again, he probably will. <laughs> when you're desperate for something, you go after it hard. There's very little that can keep you from the Lord Jesus when you're actually desperate for him. Nothing and no one will keep you from him. Bartimaeus didn't care what anyone else thought about him at this point. They were saying, be quiet. And he got, he got louder. He didn't care what they thought. No amount of silencing, displeasure, disapproval from man would keep him from calling out again and again. And the Lord heard his cry, which is normal of the Lord for people who cry out to him in real desperate faith. Listen to Psalm 17, 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Psalm 138, 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Jesus will hear your cries for help, for mercy, for forgiveness when those cries are accompanied by true, real faith. Isn't that right? If the scriptures are true, and we know they are, we can bank on that. We can bank on the fact that Jesus will hear your cries for help, for mercy, and for forgiveness when those cries are accompanied by faith. Did Jesus hear the blind man? Yes, he did. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. And Jesus stopped, it says. Yes, Jesus heard. And when Jesus heard those faith 
filled cries, he stopped. Either Jesus being compelled by compassion for the man or being commanded by the Father, or maybe both, at the same time, Jesus came to a halt. The entire crowd would have halted with him because they were all there for him. They were there for Jesus Christ. When he stopped, they stopped. The whole group of what verse 46 said was a great crowd. They stopped because Jesus actually stopped progressing towards Jerusalem. He actually stopped progressing towards Jerusalem for a poor, blind, socially insignificant man. Listen to Danny Aiken's real-life application of the fact that Jesus stopped. Listen to what he says. Like Jesus, Christians should avoid getting so caught up with the masses that we miss the one. Pray. He says, pray for one at a time. Evangelize one at a time. Feed one at a time. Clothe one at a time. Disciple one at a time. Adopt one at a time. Love one at a time. There's always one who needs our help, he says. Do you see that one? Do you hear that one? Danny says. The kingdom of God, listen to this, the kingdom of God is advanced one person at a time. One person at a time. I remember when I was in Bible college, the first and second and even third semester, I was noticing something that would what would happen to me on the first day of class, you might remember if you went to college ever or even had a class sort of similar to this, on the first day, the professor would hand out the syllabus. And the syllabus told you, this is what's going to happen all semester long. These are all the books we're going to read. These are all the assignments you're going to have. These are all the papers that you have to write. These are all the tests that we're going to have, the dates we're going to have them on. This is all that you'll be responsible for this entire semester. And what I found out, my first semester and second semester, sometimes even my third, was that first day freaked me out. I got anxiety. My heart rate would go up because I saw all that had to be done. And it was overwhelming. I thought, how can all this get done? I'm just one man. How am I going to do all this? And what I found out in my classes is, you do a little at a time. Every day you just read a little bit in that book. Every day you study a little bit for that test. And we get ready for one test at a time. You write one paper at a time, one paragraph at a time. You do a little at a time. Well then, of course, by the third, fourth, fifth, sixth semesters, what I found on day one, I'd get the syllabus, and I didn't freak out anymore because I knew Hey, it's doable. We do it a little bit at a time. And that's how the kingdom of God is advanced. We, you and I, look at this world and we see how messed up it is. We see how much work needs to be done. Don't you? All the problems out there with abortion and homosexuality and broken families and no father in the house, child abuse, all these problems, drug abuse, just everything, riots and 
floods, and we just say, gosh, I mean, how, how, how is this world going to change? It's just overwhelming. Anybody feel overwhelmed the past couple years? <laughs> I know you have. The kingdom of God is advanced one person at a time. Just obey what the Lord has called you to do today. One bit at a time is how we do it, church. And Jesus focused on one man. He stopped for one man. And he says two words, call him. It says, and they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Take heart. Sometimes translated, take courage. Sometimes translated, be of good cheer. It comes from a word in Greek that has to do with, with being, being bolstered with courage, being, being bolstered with confidence. Take heart are the first words. Why? Why take heart? Why did they say to the man, take heart? Was the man noticeably starting to lose hope? As person after person went by, and he keeps calling out, was it becoming obvious as he became more noticeably frantic, perhaps, that his opportunity, this chance, was, was falling through his Hands, like if you've ever tried to scoop up two handfuls of, of sand at the beach, dry sand at the beach, and, and hold it together in a ball, it just falls out through your fingers. Was that what he was experiencing? Was his mind thinking, I'm losing this opportunity. It's, it's going away. Perhaps. But he's told, take heart. And next, Bartimaeus hears the words, he's calling you. Me? He's, he's calling me. People ignore me. He is calling me. Yes, Bartimaeus, he was calling you. Jesus hears the cries of those who call out to him in faith, those who cry out for him for help, believing he is who he says he is, knowing they're undeserving, but also know that Jesus is full of compassion for the lowly and the needy. Yes, Bartimaeus, be of good cheer. Jesus is calling you. He wants you to come to him. That's true of everyone hearing my voice right now. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants you. Listen to what I'm saying. You. He wants you to come to him. In faith, you, person, really, you, put your, put your name there if you want to. He wants you to come to him. The blind man, listen to this, he brought only his need and his faith to Jesus. You know that, right? He brought only his need and his faith to Jesus. And that's all that's needed. That's all that's wanted. Bring your need and your faith to Jesus. And look what the man does. Look at verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, the man was blind. We've already established that. He likely had very few possessions since he couldn't work and he was dependent 
on the charity of others. Throwing off his cloak. Now, the text doesn't say this, but the text sort of makes it seem like he left it. Throwing it off. Why would it even mention it otherwise if he didn't throw it off and, and leave it? What's the point of saying he threw off his cloak and then picked it up and then got up and then walked to Jesus? And what's the point of even really saying that? He throws off his cloak, making it sound like he's left it behind. That reminds me of something similar that happened with the Samaritan woman. You might remember, once she finds out that Jesus is the Messiah, she runs off and leaves her water jar. She leaves it. The whole reason she came to the well was to get water. She finds out Jesus is the Messiah, and we learn she runs off and leaves her water jar and goes telling everyone, come see, a man I've ever, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She knew he was. Jesus changes your priorities. Jesus can cause you to even forget what was once important to you in your life. Now, the man knew that if this really was the Messiah, number one, he's, he's more important than my cloak right now. He's more important than me keeping up with my cloak. Number two, if this man really was the Messiah, I'll be able to find my cloak again, more than likely with my own eyeballs. I'll be able to go back and find it. If this man's really the Messiah and he's calling me, I'll be able to find it again. But right now, something's more important. He forgot. He just threw it off and runs towards Jesus. Jesus becomes of utmost importance to you when you want him that badly. Look at verses 51 and 52. The last verses of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Did you know this is the same thing he said to the woman with the flow of blood? This is the same thing he said to the leper, the the one who came back to thank him, the one of the ten that came back to thank him for healing him. It's the same thing he said to him too. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Their faith in who he is, not just in his ability to do miracles. Their faith in the fact that he, Jesus, the Messiah, could do anything. Because I've said before, it's not just enough to have faith. It's what your faith is in. That's what makes a difference. Your faith's in the wrong thing then it's what we call a misplaced faith. So it's not just enough to have faith. It's who your faith is in. That's why his faith worked, because Jesus is the one who made the change. It's the fact that he had faith in Jesus. Matthew's gospel says that Jesus also touched the man. We don't get that mark, but touched the man and his sight returned Mark doesn't emphasize that, and it's okay, because that's really not the point of how Jesus did it. It's the fact that that Jesus did it. Eyes that had not seen, and who knows how many years. There's no emphasis here on the fact that the man was on, on, no, not the fact. There's no emphasis here on the man being born blind, as there was when the man 
who was born blind was healed. Remember Jesus put the mud on his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He was born blind. It seems as though this man had become blind, but either way, the miracles no less miraculous. He had not seen in so many years, and now he saw everything perfectly. The leaves on the trees would have been crisp and clear. The pebbles on the path would have been defined, differentiated clearly. But the first thing the man saw was the face of the son of David. He saw the face of the Lord Jesus, the one whose word creates worlds, galaxies, and the one who calls the lowly and heals them of their diseases, their infirmities. He created the planet the man existed in. He created the rock that the man perhaps was sitting on. And he also cared about the man too. Bartimaeus saw something with his own eyes that you and I are longing to see. Aren't you longing to see the face of Jesus? I am. That's all I want in heaven. I just want to look at his face for an eternity because it will be more than enough, more than pleasing, more than fulfilling to look at the face of the Lord forever. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. What was the response to the miracle? The text says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus. Did you pick up on that? He followed Jesus after that. True, real, trusting, saving faith will result in a life devoted to following Jesus. Show me someone who really doesn't care that much about holiness, who doesn't really care that much about following Jesus, who really doesn't care that much about obeying Jesus, I'll show you someone who has not met Jesus. I don't care what he or she tells you was done as a little boy, a prayer that was prayed, a baptism that was had. I don't care. True, real, trusting, saving faith will result in a life devoted to following Jesus. Jesus, that's how we know that we know him. Again, not in perfection, in direction. Our faith is not a blind faith because our faith is in the living son of God. We are not following someone without any evidence of who he is, what he's done, and what he still has yet to do. This word is our evidence. This word is why our faith is not blind faith, because of what the truth revealed to us has said to us. We are people of the book. I've said that many times. Without this book, we do not know God. We don't know God. And that's why blind Bartimaeus called out, Son of David, 
because of prophecies made about this man who would not have called him son of David if he had not heard the truth and believed that truth that God revealed to him. He would not have called Jesus that. We're not following someone without any evidence of who he is or what he's done and what he still has yet to do. By faith, and I'm, I'm, done, I'm, I'm done with this last two sentences. By faith, we will also see him as he is face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's take heart, just like Bartimaeus was told. Let's take heart and comfort each other with that wonderful hope. We will see him face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you calls blind eyes, both physical and spiritual, to see. You cause blind eyes to see, and it's only done by faith. Faith in the truth that you have revealed to us. Lord Bartimaeus got to see your face before we did. And he's seeing it forever now. And we'll join him one day in gazing upon your beauty. Lord, I pray that you would please help us now to embrace the beauty of the words that we've just read. We love you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.